Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. A.D. Posey said, All art is a form of vulnerability because at least part of the artist goes into the piece. This is episode 60 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Renee Urbanovich. Growing up, she was a straight-A student and seemed to be on a trajectory for greatness. Her true passion was for music. More specifically, she wanted to become a singer. Then, at 15 years old, she had a vocal cord injury and her voice was completely wrecked. At the time, she wasn't disciplined enough to repair it and her parents wouldn't allow her to have surgery. For 24 years, she basically just dealt with having a hoarse voice, even though she was a vocal coach. Once she started a family, her priorities became focused on bringing up her children, and she would put her passion for being a singer to the side. After her last child was born, she finally started to get back to herself. Finally, at 38 years old, she decided to go see a specialist and figure out how to repair this issue she'd been dealing with for so long. Now she's continuing to teach others to sing and teaching them what to avoid so they don't make the same mistakes she once did. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Renee Urbanovich. Hey, Renee, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. Uh, You are one of the many people that signed up through the podcastguest.com newsletter. Um, It's uh, it's been overwhelming, but it's been great. I've had quite a few uh, great guests on so far and look forward to you being another one. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Awesome. So the first question I asked to get started is what is your definition of vulnerability? Oh, my own personal definition. Well, um, in my mind, before I looked it up, (laughs) right? In my mind, vulnerable was a good thing. Um, It was a beautiful thing and it meant, um, in my mind, it meant you were trusting um, your scenario, the universe, God, um, enough to be that. So in my mind, vulnerable um, represented a good amount of honesty and um, trust. But then I looked it up and I talked to my partner about it and found out that vulnerable mostly means your weak spot. And it's uh, like if the end, like in war, you try and find out where somebody's weak spot or vulnerability is so that you can get in there. But because I was kind of raised in a, a situation where you know, a little bit of religion mixed with a little bit of we're better than you type thing. I always thought uh, I was never vulnerable. I was always this, you know, putting on this, I've got it all together thing. So when I grew up <laughs> and came out of that, I, I thought being vulnerable was a beautiful, honest, lovely place to be. So funny you should ask. That's, that's my <laughs> So clearly I was wrong, but I had a positive connotation for vulnerability once I grew up and looked at it. And and I don't think you're wrong. I think, and that's the reason I asked that question is because I want everybody to have their own definition because I agree. If you look it up, sure, there is definitely one or two definitions, but I think it's better that we define it ourselves. And to be honest with you, I've had a, a psychologist who came on very early on. I think it was like episode six of the podcast. And she said something similar where she said she doesn't like the word vulnerability because of the way that people look at it now in in terms of that sort of weakness and everything, where she looks at it as a strength. And so she sort of had the same opinion. She said it better than I do. 
Yeah, well, she... I, as a singing teacher, I work with vulnerable um, uh, voices, right? There, there's, but I don't see it as, ugh, their, their voice is weak. I see it as, oh, I can't wait till they get stronger. This is great. Quit performing. Quit making it sound good. Stop polishing it. We need to get in there and get the tone strong. Then you can polish it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the same in, in voice on a technical level, but also on an emotional level. I mean, way back when, everyone fell in love with Amy Grant. You probably never heard of her. No, I have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone fell in love with Amy Grant because she brought a vulnerability and an honesty and an authenticity to the stage that no one had ever brought. She was very tender, very vulnerable. Uh, and maybe Edith Piaf, who was a French singer, um, who would you know stand on the stage and just weep and cry. So um, in the arts, I think that people know that from our dark shadow side you know come great great art will be produced when we are able to you know embrace both the shadow and and the light no and 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 now so from your original definition which i liked and now the way that you're putting it is sort of how i look at this podcast is how sort of these moments that are are some of our worst or some of our hardest can actually lead to some of our best and that's really the point behind this whole thing but like i said it, the the words everything even when we get later on in the podcast i'm going to bring up some other questions that i think and individually defined can mean different things to different people so i i'd rather people have that sort of individual definition than just giving me something out of the dic dictionary so um so if you were to look back on your own life um when would you say would be the first time that you faced some sort of vulnerability or some sort of challenge in your own life and go back as far as you want you know some people have gone back to like five years old and others started in like high school so completely up to you well i don't remember very much about my childhood um for whatever reason it's just a lot of i just don't remember a lot but um once i was in junior high and high school you know i was class president and i just was on this trajectory of being you know winning speech tournaments and i was just an, an achiever and i never really you know, had the F. I never, I was an A student. So I think the first time that I felt vulnerable was when I would go on auditions in the real world as a singer. And um, I mean, I was so confident when I was about 28. I went and I think it was an audition for the Spice Girls. Um, <laughs> but I, I literally, I, this is how confident I was. I, I was pregnant. <laughs> and I went on an audition, pregnant, to be a part of this girl group. Um, not thinking, oh, this might be counted against me. And I look back and what was I thinking? I was hilarious. Either that or I was just desperate. But um, I probably didn't get really um, in that place until I, uh, you know, had had some kids and then I felt insecure and um, uh, it didn't feel good. And I, I, I reached out to my partner a lot. So I, that, that's when I first started experiencing, um, facing a little bit of trouble you know, coming out of denial or overconfidence or youth. How about youth? <laughs> I think you've got the world by the balls. <laughs> so, um, you know, about, I would say right around before I hit 30, I started really reflecting. Um, but I had a vocal injury at 15, which left me physically vulnerable as a singer. And um, it just kind of took over my life. I don't know if that's part of my story in my profile or not, but I was, I was a voice teacher and I was hoarse for 24 years. So I'm, I kind of, I used it to help other people. So I knew it was beneficial, but man, it didn't feel good. So, yeah. 
So you're saying, so at around 15, you were trying to, um, I guess, sort of, what I'm trying to figure out is it seems like you were trying to maybe start exploring the world of, you know, getting into singing professionally, because I'm assuming Mm -hmm. getting into that age, that's somewhere where you can maybe start looking at a little bit more than when you're like eight or 10, obviously, because you're getting towards that age of high school ending and where's my life going to go. And then all of a sudden that, like you said, that happened and, and now you've completely lost that one thing that I guess was your passion. Yeah, it's exactly it. And the one thing that meant so much to me, I wrecked my voice and then there I was. So, and I never had the discipline to fix it or my parents wouldn't let me have surgery. So um, phys- I was physically vulnerable in my, with my vocal cords for 24 years. I was always hoarse. I was always battling, you know, healing, not healing, can't sing, can sing, but I was teaching. So I was using that to learn. I went to the doctor a lot. So my, my vulnerability in the voice brought me all kinds of stuff, which is probably why I have the attitude that I do. But it, it didn't feel good. You know, it was embarrassing and it didn't feel good, but I just didn't have the discipline until I, you know, I went to a really great voice therapist. Um, I think I was 38. I was a long time later. And she oh, so you, really yeah. You waited some time. So when when that did happen, though, I mean, like I said, you know, you're 15, you're you're just starting to figure out life. I would think at that age, like I said, um, and you know, you're you you have this happen, and like you said, you you weren't you didn't have the the possibility of going for surgery or knowing having the knowledge to fix it. But what did help you sort of get through that point? Was it the teaching, or was it something else that helped you sort of get through that difficult time when when that such a you know huge thing happened in your life? Well, I think in the beginning, um, because I went to Dr. Hans von Leyden, who is the founder of the stroboscopy, and he was this really big, famous doctor. And so I felt so cool, you know, I'm 15 years old, 16 years old, and I'm sitting in his office, and, you know, Bernadette Peters and all these famous singers are on the walls. So I just felt like, oh, I'm special. I've arrived. I've got an issue because I'm, I'm so into singing. You know, you're just young, and you don't you don't realize this is going to impact your whole life. Like, so I went to the doctor and um, I felt like in this club, this singer's club. So it really took me a long time to realize, well, man, this isn't going away. I need to do something. Um, You know, I need to, and I didn't have discipline to rest. When I met my husband, we've been married like, I don't know, 30 something years. When I met him, I was on vocal rest. And so he asked me out on a date and I said, yeah, but I can't really talk or laugh or anything. We just have to quietly go to a movie. I have to be quiet. So our first date, you know, we went to go see, I think we went to see Same Time Next Year with Alan Alda and Goldie Hawn. And he wanted me to, you know, engage. And so he like totally threw popcorn at me so that I would like, you know, we were 15, 16, I don't know, 17. Yeah. He, he was trying to get me to engage uh, with my voice. And so obviously, you know, then once I had kids and then once I was teaching, I never could rest my voice. So I, I never could put myself first. So it just was this long pattern. And I work with students right now with nodules and I never judge them. They come in, I say, did you rest? And they say, um, and they want to lie, right? But I say, I'll never judge you. It took me 24 years to learn the discipline of shutting up. So I get it. I get it. So anyway, um, that's what happened was after I had a few kids and um, I have four, I guess it was after the fourth kid, I finally went to a therapist who knew how to deal with me. She was really tough with me. 
And I actually had to, um, I spent thousands of dollars, I spent like $5,000 money I did not have. I had children, and, but I, I, once I invested financially and realized I have to, I have to end this, I'm sick of being hoarse. Um, and she knew how to handle me. She was very spiritual. She gave me meditations, which I didn't, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought she was a little out there, but they worked. And she just, she taught me how to take my health and my voice into my own hands. And she um, taught me to have like a, an angel in my head protecting me so that, because, um, you know, as a mom, we were kind of like martyrs, you know, we're like, oh, I don't have time for myself. So she created this person, this angel who would help me do what I needed to do. So I couldn't do it alone. My, I, you asked me how I did it. Obviously, I tried by myself for many years until I got someone on my side regularly, you know, kind of on my ass. I, I, I do it so i couldn't do it alone i needed help no obviously i mean like you said it took 20 some odd years before you finally decided to i guess you know like you said get better and and get to a point where you could uh, sing again i guess is the way of looking at it so i guess one thing i'm wondering is is so you're like you said you're 15 this happens you you realize that you know singing might not be in your path but how like how did you make the decision to then sort of go in a different route but in the same i guess area and by that i just mean like you you decided to now become a music teacher instead like yeah. how it seems to me that for most people like your your the thing you're most passionate about being crushed like that would then sort of take you away from it completely but you seem to still sort of head down a path that had something to do with music well i think that if i were to be really honest brian um uh your passion you don't choose your passion you know it chooses you and i mean i still get goosebumps when i hear judy garland i i can't be in the same room with that sound or i'll start crying it's it's just so deep in my blood and i think most singers actors artists um whatever especially in the performing arts even dancing they never actually give it up they never actually say the words i give up i'm not going to become a singer so in the back of my mind um, what started it was I thought, I'll just have a couple of kids and then I'll be able to go on tour. And I'll bring my kids with me. I think in the back of your mind, you just think, well, you know, it's the natural order. I'm probably gonna have kids. So in the meantime, while I'm still writing and recording and, you know, doing showcases, I'll just, I'll have some children and then we'll go on the bus. And you never really think you're giving up your dream. It goes by degrees. And then you say, okay, now I have my hands full. I've got too many kids. Now I have four kids, so I'll just sing here and here and here. And then you can't stand it anymore, so you put a big show on, right? So you just do it by degrees. And then now that I'm 55, I mean, I don't even want to sing anymore, but I will sing. Um, I'm really, really good at singing in uh, like ceremonial things like weddings and funerals and ritualistic things. Um, but I hate, I hate singing for entertainment. <laughs> So I think that I never grieved it um, all at once. I think it just happens a little at, like by degrees. You, you, but I, you don't lose your passion for it. Um, so I still have a passion for helping other people sing correctly because I didn't. Um, but you know, my passion for the arts, my passion for performing arts and my passion for writing, I'm a writer. Um, that's, that still, you know, stirs me in the middle of the night at three in the morning. I can't, you can't shake it. You know, when, when you're an artist or when you're really dedicated to your creativity, you can't just 
you can't. I don't, I don't know how people ever just go forget it. No, and, and I think that's a good attitude to have. I don't think everybody has that, unfortunately. I think that a lot of people, like I said, that if something sort of uh, puts up a roadblock to- towards their passion or towards their dreams, a lot of people either stop there or can't figure out how to get around it. And, that, and then that's sort of the end of it. I mean, I'm just thinking like off the top of my head, the episode that I'm going to release tomorrow you know, so the, the gentleman that is going to be on that episode, he tried a, he tried his sort of way at entrepreneurship and then didn't do it again for 20 years because of a massive failure. And that's what I mean. Like most people, they don't necessarily still even venture into the same world like you did. Like, cause it, the, the thing that came up for me as we were talking about that is you're saying, you know, you're teaching other people how to sing and yet you can't yourself because of what happened. And I can only, again, just out of curiosity, I'm I'm wondering if there was any sort of pain in that because here you are teaching other people how to do something you love doing, but you can't do it yourself. Yeah, it's it's kind of, I've written about it. Um, It's like having a fat ballet teacher with a broken leg, you know, it's like that. And so, I I mean, I will tear up with my students, um, you know, especially the ones that are injured. which I'm a god I'm a godsend to someone who's injured that walks in here. And I, I'll say, look, if I had someone like me to help me, I, I wouldn't be on this side of the piano. I wouldn't. But, but I didn't have anyone until I was until I, you know, I was 38. That's, you know, Cheryl Crow might have been 38 when she made it. Um, but not many people keep, you know, going out there and, you know, to the clubs and stuff past a certain age. Well, they, you know, back then. So I, I, I did grieve a little at a time. I think that I really wished to have been a singer, because um, I'm a really good communicator. I don't know now that I'm around all these great singers. I was the best in my town, but um, man, I've had hundreds of students better than I've ever been, ever. But I, they've also been training, you know, and they also learn discipline. And so, I mean, when I get when I get a student, I try and make sure they're getting discipline, you know, a lot, a lot of support. But um, yeah, I mean, especially when you get a really good singer who just is gifted and they don't have nodules and they don't have issues and you go, I don't belong singing, I belong teaching. You just, yeah. you just something you just feel like a really gifted singer. It, I mean, I was a gifted communicator and a good singer. So, but I didn't know that, you know, I'm 55 now. You look back, <laughs> hindsight, hindsight's 2020. Um, I could have been a singer because, you know, back in the 80s, oh my gosh, the, the science of singing was, was minuscule compared to now. Of course, everybody wrecked their voice. <laughs> they, nobody <laughs> had to do it until the stroboscopy came and x-rays of the, of the, um, the, the, the diaphragm in the lungs. So, um, you know, I, I did, I literally stopped singing and if someone dies, I'll sing. So, and that's about the only time I will. And maybe no. that's because, um, maybe it's because it triggers. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't really analyzed that. <laughs> maybe something to think about. <laughs> one thing I, I'm, one thing I, I'm, I'm sort of picking up here is it seems that, you know, to your definition of vulnerability sort of being a strength, sort of being something that we can embrace, it seems to me that that's sort of what you did in terms of becoming a teacher, that your strength, instead of being your voice, became being a teacher and a communicator, like you said. Yeah, I think that just kind of happened. 
I do get sad though when I look back sometimes and I think, you know, I had, I had the it quality, the sparkle that a lot of people don't have when I was young. You know, when you're young, you think, um, I, you think you're going to go to Broadway. You know? <laughs> and, and so, and it wasn't as competitive when I was uh, 18 as it is now. Yeah. It's really, it's, com- it's completely different, but um yeah, I mean, vulnerability, if I, if I could now write, you know, if I was going to write it down and, and make it plot points, you would see that, the, that the, the vulnerability has been transferred. It's called a wounded healer, where you're, you're wounded, but then you choose to heal others with, with it. And so, um, I mean, part of that acceptance at a certain age, where like, I'm not singing anymore. Like my own kids, I don't even think they've heard me sing much. If I have a few drinks, you know, and I, and there's a karaoke, I'll win. And my, my kids will go, Whoa, mom, you know, I'm kind of a ham. If I've had a couple of drinks, yeah. and there's a karaoke. it's kind of cheating. So, um, but it doesn't define me anymore, but it did define me. And so it's weird to not be known like that now. Um, it's weird to just be this completely other person, just this, this teacher, but it does feel good to have, um, it feels good to have a lot of answers and a lot of experience with what other people are feeling. So it, it's made me a better, it's made me a better teacher. So, I mean, I just accept it. Um, but it wasn't without tears along the way. So. No, for sure. And I, all I was trying to get at is it seems that, like I said, that the strength that you were able to find through that was the fact that you could then take your abilities and use them to help others. Right. And that to me is a pretty good strength to have, because again, it's, Uh, one thing I've heard over and over again through whether it's books or podcasts or whatever is that true true like happiness and joy in life is found through being in service of others not necessarily you know being selfish or or whatever you want to put it right so it seems to me that that was sort of the strength that you found through some of the you know pain and and vulnerability that you had to go through with whatever was going on um, with yourself. I think you just hit it on the head in fact because what happens when you are investing and investing and investing. And I mean, I, I used to have to scrounge and save money to make a demo for my songs because I wrote material. Um, and then you go pitch them and then you pound the pavement, then you go to these things, um, songwriter circles, and you're just putting out all the en- energy, as you said, there's no, the cost and benefit. You just start weighing it out and it just starts dragging you down. and man, teaching is immediate because you're in service of others. It feels so good. You, you just go out, you go to the studio, you teach, you go home, you go, oh, it's instant. It's immediate. You don't have to wait for someone to call you back and say, oh, we liked your song. We're going to record it on this movie. It's just an instant exchange of creativity and service. And um, teaching has made me so happy. So, and that's probably from what you just said, because I'm, I'm, giving what I have and what I know in my heart to others. It feels really good. No, I, 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 it seems so. It definitely, it's coming through in that, in that sense, you've talked quite a bit about, you know, sort of teaching and helping others. So it seems to me that it definitely holds a very important place in in your life. If you can sort of, one thing I want to uh, get into as well is, you know, you, you say that it took you 20 some odd years, I think it was 23, 24 odd years for you to finally decide to, you know, go and get the therapy you needed and the things that you needed to get your voice back. And uh, like how, I know we've sort of gone through it a bit, but it, it doesn't seem to me that you just woke up at like 38 or, or whatever age it was and we we're like, you know what, I should go do this. So like, if you can give us an idea of like, how did you lead up to that? Because it just seems to me like, 
you know, for 20 years, most people would have just forgotten and said, whatever, it's been 20 years. Like, I'm just going to live the rest of my life like this. Like, how did you get to that point where you were like, I think I need to fix this. And now let me figure out how to do it. Wow. What a really good question. Um, I am. Okay. So my, I think my youngest was eight. Um, so I had the four children, the youngest kind of, once he was eight years old, he started being busy and all that. And, um, I went back to school because I had, I had, had never gotten my degree. So I went back to school and I went to our local, um, community college. It's called college of the canyons. And I took a couple of writing classes and, um, after serving my family, serving my students, serving my family, serving my church, serving my student, always serving, always serving. I just had a meltdown once I got it to the college. And I remember I would get in the elevator after my writing class and I'd lean against the wall and go, nothing should feel this good. I was so hungry, so hungry. My my own personal creativity was so thrashed because I, I mean, when you have kids and you want to be a good mom, you give to them and then you get nothing left. And that's just because I had too many kids too fast. It's very normal. So, wow, did that feel good. So once I went back to school uh, and started getting educated um, and studying, um, not just writing, but I took psychology and then I, I majored in creativity and I learned all about Jungian, um, you know, the, the creativity through your dark side and all that exploring. And I spent money on therapy and uh, I, it was a, a very big moment where I went, okay, my, I'm suffering. And then I learned that um, as far as chakras go, um, your creativity is in your voice. It's in your throat chakra. So my hoarseness and my injury was directly related to me being, for lack of a better word, a martyr. <laughs> and so when I was finally mature enough um, to say, I don't want to get attention anymore for being wounded, because you get attention when you're always hoarse and you're working so hard. Oh, thank you. So when I was, it, but it, it, it was pretty overnight. It was, it was starting school. That's what did it to me. It slammed me. And I thought I have got to pay attention to myself. I'm going to get healed. I'm going to have a voice back. I'm going to write. I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. You know, it, 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 the, when you said that part about sort of getting into the elevator and just falling against the wall and being like, it, it can't be right to feel this good. That's something that it just hit me because it amazes me how many of us sort of forget about that feeling. Like only in the last few years of my life have I started to rediscover that feeling again myself when I sort of read a couple of books and was like, okay, maybe the reason I'm not happy is because I'm relying on other people for my happiness and I have mm-hmm. to you know, or not even happiness, but just in terms of just feeling good. Like I was a pretty miserable human being for quite a few years. And, and when I finally realized that maybe it's because I need to do work on myself and, and like get myself better before I worry about everybody else or look to everybody else for that sort of joy or whatever that feeling is. then that sort of seems to me what, what happened to you it was like this moment of like, I haven't felt like this in so long. Why? And then when you, like you said, when you started to, you realize, okay, there's some work that I need to do for me. Yeah. For me, and so I mean, to 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 tag team what you just said, I did turn to my partner often and say, "How come you don't want to know 
why I don't sing anymore. And I want to blame, how come you don't ask me if I've written a song lately? And, and then I would blame the church. I literally met with the pastor, literally. And I said, why don't you, why doesn't anyone in this whole church pay attention to an artist who's wilting? Like, why don't people care about that? And, and I, would, I would blame, I kind of thought everyone else was in charge of me and my happiness, right? Just like you said. So once I stopped blaming everybody, um, but I, I did come to the conclusion that when you're involved in, let's say, a church, no matter what religion it is, um, and you study God, study God, study God, you get to know God, 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 you don't get to know yourself. So there's a stunting of your self-development when you're not balanced. You need to be spiritual and, you know, you need to work on your own relationship to self and society. So I had you know, kind of skipped out on that. So I think, you know, as you said, I, I had a lot of work to do at that point. Um, and I, it, it was great. I remember literally feeling like my head was expanding. My brain was expanding. Um, but it, it was still a lot of work. But my kids were older and um, it was fun because as they were discovering things, we had a parallel journey. Because as my son would go to college and learn about the goddess, let's say, or something historical that he never knew, I was in school, I was learning it too. So I felt like I felt like I missed out on all that when I was young. So we had a lot of, you know, fireside chats about everything we were learning about existentialism or, you know, whatever, Nietzsche. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's interesting because like another thing that I've sort of uh, came to come to the realization about and, and I've heard it again other places or just in my own self-discovery is that like if we sort of look back on our childhood and, and we really sort of think about life back then, we can find a lot of the things that I guess in a sense brought us joy or happiness back then. And if we sort of reintroduce them into our life, um, it can help us with sort of figuring out you know, the path that maybe we're supposed to venture down or, or even if it's just finding things that just bring us joy for nothing other than that. Like, cause again, when you get become an adult, it's, you know, pay bills, take care of children, whatever it might be. And so you forget about doing things that you enjoy. And it seems to me like that was sort of an interesting way that you sort of came about. It was the fact that you and your, and a couple of your kids were in the same sort of situation. So you get to sort of look back and reflect on that, which again, I don't think a lot of us do because we get caught up in the sort of day-to-day -day of right. life. Well, and so now I'm on the other side of it. So you're hearing a lot of this pr already processed, but mm -hmm. at, you know, when I was 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41. I, I mean, I would, I would just like dig, sift through the sand and cry and really try and figure things out. And I started giving creativity seminars. I think my, I think I was 40. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we had like, 80 people in a big circle and I was probably where you're at like wait a minute here I forgot to carve out time in my life for play for for creative play for joy for something that I used to enjoy as a child and I I, I was like everyone here you better plan your life like I I had made that discovery so we we have to include creativity that's to me that's what it's called is creativity the joy and the you know the playtime and the self-expression the digging around and researching who you are and you know what does it all mean all of that to me is creativity so um i started making a joke i was the creativity police <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing in your life that's gonna help you know you find joy and da, 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 da. so anyway you are hitting on all of that i feel like um 
uh, I feel like it's for me, you know, it's a, a, a 10 years back because I'm so much older and, you know, but when I was trying to format my life, I did forget. I did. Yeah. Well, and, and like I said, I think it's easy to do because the fact that like there's so many things to distract us and nowadays it's more and more and more like, you know, it, it, it's if it's not kids or, you know, like I said, paying bills, it's social media, it's a million and one other things that can just distract us from life in general. And 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 unfortunately, you know, it's just sort of the way that things are going. And and I think one thing you brought up earlier that may have helped, might have helped as well, in, not only with um, sort of, I guess, the... Uh, repairing of your voice but in just in general i'm imagining it helps with like meditation and i don't know if that's true or not but i just i i've been experienced like had my experiences with meditation over the last few months and i've seen a big difference in how it just sort of affects my brain my way of thinking and so on and so i'm wondering if even that helped you a bit too well i don't like literally meditate regularly um so you know, scientifically, it does rewire your brain and it, it changes the landscape of your brain the more you meditate. And so I think that the same is true with prayer, that prayer has the same impact on the landscape of your brain. Um, but uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi is the leading expert on creativity, and he's written lots of books, but his main word for a meditative state is called flow. So he did all this research where if you're an artist, a piano player, a violinist, singer, whatever, um, you reach a state of flow and it is very meditative and it's almost like um, the chant or uh, the dead silence or whatever. Um, so I've experimented and dabbled with official meditation. My partner and I, you know, will listen to the meditation. My son would do the, the, whatever that's called, the breathing ones with me. <laughs> you know, I've experimented, but um, I'm not um, necessarily a meditator. I would say I still pray. I can't help it. When I sit down to meditate, you know, I'll light the candles, I'll sit down on the pillow and I'll try to just meditate, but I just end up praying. I, <laughs> I, I try and connect and harmonize with other people on the planet, try and reach the, out to them because all of our matters entangled. And, you know, I love metaphysics. Um, but yeah, I haven't figured out the whole silent meditation thing yet. No, and I think each each person can have their own way of doing it. The only reason I brought it up is because it seemed like you have a very like present mindset. Maybe not you haven't always had that, but it just seems like you have a very like you have a good understanding of the fact that sort of we have to live life now we have to be present we have to remember to have fun we have to do all these things that a lot of people like I said just seem to forget about at some point in their life and it seems you even forget about them for some time but now you've gotten back to them so I just was I guess curious as to whether or not that's what brought you back to it or if it was something else because I think it's a I think it's a really important message what you're bringing up in terms of being creative and and having fun because I think like I said far too many of us just ignore it, forget about it, or think it's unimportant because there's other priorities in our life that yeah. probably aren't important, but we think they are. <laughs> um, one time I went to a funeral um, for a childhood friend, very dear, dear friend. Her brother died at 50. So I went to the funeral and then on my way home, a, a mutual friend called and said, how was the funeral? And I said, it was fun. She said, what are you talking about? It was a funeral. And I went, oh my God, what am I saying? It wasn't fun. Um, it, it was fitting. It felt good. It was meaningful. So to me, 
things that are fun, maybe, you know, are, are very meaningful. I'm just not, I'm not a fun person. So, but the things that bring me fulfillment, fulfillment, and maybe that translates to joy and happiness. I don't know. Those, those things, the things that are fitting and meaningful and not shallow. So I am very present and I'm very, and I'm, I, I'm not superficial at all, but I think what it's come down to for me, rather than thinking of um, whatever, uh, Chick sent, what's his name? Chick sent Han. The, oh yeah, Chick Nhat Han, I think it is. Yeah. The miracle of mindfulness or um, Eckhart Tolle, the very big guys right now. Um, Deepak Chopra, Oprah, you know, all that lingo that's floating around right now that I, I don't disagree with. I love it. But for me, because I plug everything in through creativity, um, it's all about process. And so when I look back at what I didn't know, I don't think, oh, I was on the wrong track. How embarrassing or whatever. I think I was growing. That's where I was. And same with you and same with anyone in their 30s. You're trying to figure out and build your life and you're going to try this and that's not going to be it. And then you're going to be stuck for a while, right? Because you got to finish out a job for a year. It's the wrong job. I mean, my daughter's in her, my kids are, you know, right there now, 28, 27, whatever, 30. They're trying to figure out because they don't want to lose their, their joy. And yeah. so they, they dig their heels in a little bit more than you and I did. You know, those millennials, <laughs> they, they don't want to have to be too busy um or you know they don't want to miss out on their yoga class but um i think that i just really run it through the idea of process and when you're in process and accept where you're at um it's just more loving it's just a loving place to be rather than um thinking uh you know but it is a practice i guess you know it's a practice no, for sure. And, and I, again, I, I like what you said there in terms of like, you have to constantly be trying new things to grow because I think, again, that's another thing that we, we get caught in. I, I usually say like the comfort zone. Um, we just get caught in these places of like uh, new things are scary. What I'm doing right now is fine. Um, and so I think I agree definitely with what you said in terms of, you know, trying new things is what's going to help you with growing and, and processing and, and, and everything like that. And I don't know. I guess we could, can I say something about that? Um, sure. To me, trying something new, trying something new is important, especially once you reach a certain age, because you kind of get lazy and you just get really comfortable in your own house with your own coffee maker and, you know, traveling's kind of a pain, whatever. But trying something new is so, it's the most vulnerable thing, isn't it? So in order to put yourself into stretching yourself and growing, you have to become vulnerable. So when I get a 50 something year old or 60 something year old in my studio, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I respect you so much. It's so scary. It's, it puts you in such a scary place and vulnerable place to try something new at a certain age that you're so not good at, <laughs> right? And you're willing to sound shitty and you're willing to be embarrassed because you want something and you want to grow and you know it's going to bring you good things. So we have to put ourselves in a vulnerable position sometimes in order to reap that benefit. No, and I love the fact that you just said like that you have like, you know, 50, 60 year old people coming in that, that want to still try this and, and want to do this at that age. And I, th I hope that I'm like that at 50 or 60 years old, because again, I think that 
too many of us, like I remember having a conversation with my dad not too long ago and he said something to that. I don't remember the full context of the conversation, but when he, when, when I sort of finished whatever I was saying, he said, yeah, but that's easy for you to say. Cause you're, you know, 30 something years old. And I was like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, uh, you know, your age is not going to define sort of how long you get to live or what you get to experience because I don't know if I'm going to have tomorrow or next week or next year. And so, and that's sort of the message I relayed back to my dad was like, you know, to say that just because I'm younger, something's easier is sort of ignorant because we don't know how much yeah. time we have. We don't know how, how much. That's a good point. You're right. But it also is that the, it's also setting your intention, like to be all new agey. If you don't have the intention um, to keep growing and keep learning and stick, you know, stick with the times, you're going to, entropy is going to set in. I don't know very many people that can eat whatever they want, not exercise, watch TV, not read a book, and be anything but a big fat piece of shit. Right? Yeah. I mean, doesn't entropy set in? You gain weight, you get fat, you get you, you can't do much anymore, you can't ride a bike, you just give in. Okay, I can't do that, I can't do that. You just, you, you have to set your intention to be something, to take care yeah. of some, something. But um, I think that speaking of vulnerability, uh, to defend your dad, my dear, um, <laughs> that every gosh damn day when you have to open up that computer and you're, you know, I'm going to just guess your dad's about my age, maybe 60. Um, every day, it's just, you just get that feeling like when I have to fill out a form online, it's like, and my kids aren't home anymore. My kids used to help me. <laughs> or when I have to go into Zoom and fix the settings or the, the, the technology right now is in talk about cost and benefit. You can spend four hours doing one thing on the internet and it didn't work. And then you get so frustrated that you close it. You close the laptop, you get away from the desktop, you go have a drink and then you, you're, you have gun, you're gun shy to go back to it because nothing happened. And it just makes you so talk about vulnerability. You, you feel like it's over for me. If I can't learn how to edit this garage band, I'll never <laughs> work again. Like it's over. I have to keep going. I cannot stop. I'm going to learn Zoom. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to learn that. And if you have no, um, if you have no success in that arena, maybe, maybe your dad, maybe he's technologically brilliant. I don't know. Yeah. But the technology is enough to, to take you down once you're a certain age. And if you don't keep up, you're, you're cutting your nose off. To, I mean, you're, cutting yourself off at the legs if you don't keep up with technology but it's scary and it's hard yeah. and you feel like everyone knows something you don't know no and and i i can see that in a sense i mean listen at 30 something years old uh you know when i decided to start this podcast garage band scared the crap out of me and, and i've been using computers since i was god knows how young right so I, I i can definitely see what you're saying and even in terms of you made me think of like my dad uh, like he is he's uh, in his mid-60s now but when he was, I, th I would say he was around 50-ish, he decided all of a sudden that he wanted to learn how to play solitaire on the computer. And then from <laughs> solitaire, he wanted to learn how to do this and do that. And now, like, he can pretty, he's not, like, crazy proficient, but he can do everything from play games to, like, going on YouTube to finding out okay. news about where he's from because he's from Portugal and he hasn't been back there in years. And so it, he, he's definitely explored a bit more and learned a bit more, but I can definitely understand how, I guess with age, sometimes things can get a little bit scarier to, to try and go after or think about just because of the fact that now you've had so many years of maybe the same pattern or whatever. Like I look at him and he worked the same job for I think 35 odd years. Right. So for him breaking out of that pattern might be even harder than, for somebody mm -hmm. you know at my age 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I, I think is important that you brought up too, and I, I don't remember what word you used, but what it reminded me of is in terms of like priorities. I think that, you know, you sort of have to set your priorities. I think you said intentions. I look at it as, you know, like you have to have priorities in life. And, and like I said before, unfortunately, I think some of us look at some priorities as more important than others, even though they may not have any importance whatsoever. But you have to constantly like one activity I did from a coach that was given to me was write down my three priorities in life every once in a while, it may be every like six months or whatever, just when I feel like my life may be going off on a, in a wrong direction, I'll sit down and I'll write down like my top three. And then I'll just have that set, I guess, again, like that intention set. So I think that's another important part for people to sort of pick up on, because I think that if you do that in your life at some point, or at multiple points, it can help you sort of keep that ball rolling and, and put you in the right directions. I really like that. I mean, I don't know if I could have three, um, but you know, when you're in your twenties that you don't know what you, you're not completely like, you're not even fully developed. Your brain's not even fully developed till you're 25. Right. So your prefrontal cortex is finally going to get fully developed. And then you start making a commitment to a field, which is just com- developmental uh, adulthood. Like between 18 and 30 is when you try things and it's okay to be all over the map. And then, you start to settle into what your passion is and then you make a commitment to it. Um, and that could happen at 35, you know, if you're a late bloomer and it could happen at 25. It, 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 the age isn't what matters, but um, I feel like, um, now I lost my train of thought because I'm the old one here. <laughs> um, I read a book, uh, what was his name? It was, a, it was a Buddhist kind of a book and he said, make a mission statement for your life. So it was kind of like that three priorities thing. Mm-hmm. He said, make a mission statement. And then in your life, <clears throat> you'll, you'll know what path to take and it'll help you. I guess it's like when you brand yourself. And so um, for you, you have the three priorities, but what I like about some people, which it may be, you may not be, it's not me is um, they're, they allow themselves to change their mind. So their priorities maybe in their 20s were this, and in their 30s, their priorities were this, and in 40s, their priorities were this. So I like that when people go, oh, no, no, I've totally, I'm not that anymore. I love that. I feel like that's really attractive. I don't think of it as, um, you know, an epic fail that you change your, you know, life's mission every 10 years. But um, that's what your three priorities reminded me of. No, for sure. And, and for me, it's just a way of, like I said, making sure that my life is lined up the way that it needs to be because for, for a long, like even, so in the last few years, a lot's gone on, but you know, there was a one point where like, I, I was so focused on myself that I just forgot about a lot of other things in my life. And so for me, the three priorities activity is just a way to sort of, again, get that alignment in my life so that I'm not just veering off in a hundred different directions. Cause that's easy to do as well. Um, yes, that's right. And then you, you get distracted by all kinds of um, shiny things. <laughs> shiny, yes. Shiny object syndrome. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to say, since I brought it up, the book is called The Undefeated Mind by Alex Lickerman. And uh, it, it's, not, it's not a quick and easy, uh, the, the four steps to reach, you know. Yeah. It, it's, it's exactly what we're talking about. He's a doctor and it's, um, just not to sit here and promote him, but um, I, it just reminded me of that. So no, I'm, I'm always looking for more books to read and I'm sure some of my listeners are too. So I'm glad that you, you looked that up. So if you can reflect back, cause I, I just want to sort of get an understanding, you know, like 
if we look back, you know, you, you said 38, I think it was, you went back to school, you took this writing course, you had this feeling of, you know, uh, like almost seems like euphoria, like, oh my God, this feels so good. Why have I held back this for so long? And it seems like since that point, you've sort of kept that feeling. But if you were to reflect back before that point, like what are some of the tolls that it took on you waiting so long to get to that point? Like whether it's emotionally, whatever it might be, like whatever you're comfortable talking about, like what would you say, like reflecting back, it sort of took up on you? You're not, you're going to get in there with the nitty and gritty, nitty gritty. (laughs) Um, okay, some of the tolls that it took on me. Um, <clears throat> um, well, I'm lucky I'm still married, let's put it that way, because when one person changes the choreography that much, um, it really takes a huge toll on, on the relationship and the marriage. So um, when I was telling you that I was like blaming, you know, blaming the church, mm-hmm. blaming the internet, um, of course, I wanted to blame the the man that I had, you know, hooked up with at 16 years old because he was so much a part of my development. And so as a bendy, flexible female, I kind of always did what he wanted. And so I wanted to blame my lack of self-development on him. So it took a huge toll on our marriage for years. We are so lucky we're still together. Um, we really are because there was a lot that, that was going on there for a long time, but we're still married and we're, um, I wouldn't say madly in love because I don't, I don't believe in that, but we are madly in love. We just dig each other. We respect each other. We adore each other. We enjoy each other. Um, so we're really lucky. So it took a huge toll on my marriage. And I would say one year, I'll say I was 38 and a half to 39 and a half. <laughs> um, I literally, literally, I, I kid you not, cried 365 days oh, wow. that year. If I ever was alone in the car or in the shower or in the studio for two seconds, I would burst out crying. I, I cried and cried and cried. Uh, and I, I, I was just be, being rebirthed, I think. Um, and so the toll was just feeling like I didn't know who I was. And um, it was re- it's really scary um, when you're, especially when you have children and they're following you. I had dreams where in my dream I was driving a car and then I lost the steering wheel and and then we pulled off the road and then I had to climb up this green thing you know this green ladder and I looked behind me and all four of my kids were following me so when you're already a mother and you're already a guide and you're already um supposed to have it fucking figured out and I didn't I was really lost and, um, you know, I tried to be an alcoholic. That didn't work. I, I tried to drink and like self-medicate, but I always just threw up. It, it, it never became my thing. Um, so, but the, what happened to me as a writer is during my most dark times where I felt like not only did I lose myself, I felt like I kind of lost my faith in God um, and I lost religion. Just like that song, Losing My Religion. Um, it was so dark that... Um, I, I couldn't write. So I started painting. Painting was the only, and I'm not a painter, like I'm not an artist at all. Yeah. Um, but I, I had to sort through things. I ha- and so the most dark times, um, they were terrifying. They were terrifying. So, and you know, some people do do drugs and to kind of self-medicate. And I don't necessarily recommend that. But um, I had a safe holding environment. I had a partner who was willing to be be a safe holding environment and offer me what they call space. Um, and, and I'll never forget this. One day 
not long ago, <laughs> uh, we went out to lunch and I just said, I, maybe it was eight years ago. I said, I can't do it anymore. And you know, my kids are not nearly grown now. Like my youngest is 17, 18. I've been through it. I did it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yay, the finish line. But I just was still just having a hard time. And he said, I, we were at sushi next to Rattlers. I don't eat sushi. He was eating. <laughs> I said, I can't do it anymore. I just can't do it. I can't be this person. And he said, I will hold down the fort. You are not trapped. You go do whatever you have to do. I will be here for all the kids. I will hold down the fort. You have to do what you have to do. And I will be here when you get back. And just being untrapped, just being allowed to go, I was fine. I was fine. So I think a lot of our um, pain and angst and um, whatever you call it, a toll, the toll that it takes on you, a lot of it is, is thinking we have no options. Oh, thank you for sharing all that. Like, I didn't expect that asking that question. Usually by the time we've gotten to that point in the interview, a lot of that has sort of been shared in some shape or form, but I'm really glad that you opened up like that. And and I think there's a lot of messages in there and a lot of sort of even things that people can sort of take into their own lives and their own situations. Because, you know, as an example, just even the support part that you talked about, like having a good support system, whether it be your significant other, whether it be friends, whether it be family, whoever it might be, like, I think is key to any, to having the, I guess, the ability, having the ability to sort of, you know, move, uh, move towards anything we want in life or, or, or go on these journeys, we have to have the right support system. And so I think what you brought up in terms of going to that dinner with your husband and him saying like, you do you, I'll hold down the fort. Similar thing happened to me a few years ago when I lost my job with my wife. So I can completely relate. And then also the other thing too, is I think that where you brought up, you know, sort of that year uh, that you went through where every sort of any little moment would sort of make you break down. Uh, what I took from that is we have to be careful how much we hold on to because I've, again, you know, not to compare stories or whatever, but it's just sort of I'm relating in terms of like in the last year or so. I found myself become a little more emotional and I think it's just because I was holding on to so much. I was suppressing so much for so many years. And now that I'm opening up a bit more, I'm starting to allow those sort of things to come up. So again, it's just sort of a couple of things that I was able to sort of pull from what you said there. And there's tons more um, that people can definitely take from that if they listen back to it. So at this point in your career, and, and we're getting down to the last couple of questions because I want to respect your time, but at this point in your life right now where you're at in your career and everything, would you say that you found success and fulfillment or would you say that you're still on a journey towards that? Um, you ask great questions. You know, I usually, <laughs> I can get away with like just kind of superficially like mentioning things, but these are nitty gritty questions, man. Um, well, I think that... Uh, what what did you say you were stuffed you didn't say stuffing you said suppressing that was yeah that's that's yeah for me in terms of yeah so um you know i think that uh, i think happiness is overrated i don't believe in happiness and i just said to my partner maybe two days ago um i'm the happiest unhappy person i know so um right now none of my kids are near me i had a grandchild and i can't go because of the pandemic mm -hmm. Every day I'm pretty cheerful and happy, but deep inside I'm, I'm sad because I can't be with them. So I don't, I don't know how you can have two conflicting feelings of total sadness and yet happiness in the midst of it. So I guess that's maybe what contentment is or fulfillment. I don't know what you want to call it, but um, 
the monkey on my back that of being a writer and you know wanting to finish a book or a manuscript or a poem you know those things make me very um unhappy if that's a word because they're a monkey on my back and it's a burden and um and yet i can't I, I can't let it go and maybe one day i will finally let it go and say okay i'm done writing books i'm done writing poetry i'm done singing in funerals i'm done i don't know i don't know what there is after what i feel every day but um i think just having your mission statement my mission statement is to make a difference so if i'm unhappy i don't care as long as i'm making a difference because that's the ultimate fulfillment before i die i have a huge burden for humanity it's ridiculous but i just care a lot about humanity i wish i was very um focused on just my life mm -hmm. but i i want it to branch out and make a difference um to society and to culture um so uh, in answer to your question, I hope that by the time I die, I'm, I will be quote unquote fulfilled and we never know how much time we have left. So um, being cheerful and content and joyful um, and happy and sad and unhappy and fulfilled and unfulfilled. I think it's just part of the human condition and I, I'm not going to strive to just be the happiest person. I, I will do what I have to do to be ultimately fulfilled and, and fulfill my mission whether it makes me happy or not. Oh, that's honestly one of the best answers I've gotten because most people just <laughs> either separate the two and go, yes, I'm successful. No, I haven't found fulfillment or vice versa. Or they just focus on like the clear definitions that are lined out in sort of the dictionary. And you sort of gave me a, a very open and honest answer to sort of how you feel about it. And I appreciate it. And I also think one thing I pulled from that was that when you said about, you know, how you can be on sort of both tangents of happiness and sadness and still feel fulfilled. I think that is sort of the key to it. I think it's being able to acknowledge that you feel a little bit of everything and not ignore things and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm always so happy. And so I'm fulfilled. I don't think that's right at all. I, I definitely agree sort of in what you said about being able to sort of acknowledge these mix of emotions and, and that being yeah. sort of part of fulfillment. So I, I like what you had to say. So down to the last question. Um, and then there's just a couple other things before we finish off. But the last question I ask every guest is if you can look back on your journey and you can give our listeners three important lessons that you learned from your journey that they could then use on their sort of whatever challenges they're facing or vulnerabilities they're facing, um, they could use these to then help themselves. So what would you say those three lessons would be? Well, now they're going to be different because I talked to you for a full hour. <laughs> so what I, what I would have said at the beginning of this podcast and what I'm going to say now um, are going to be different. But my usual um, advice is, um, has to do with process and creativity. Touch, you know, touch down with the force of creativity because it's a pretty powerful phenomenon and it's ours. And we share it with astronomy and we share it with science, you know, biology. We share it with quantum physics. It's pretty powerful. So I would say, you know, get into creativity, get into your own personal creativity, figure out what your function is and how you fit into the whole, because we are all very small parts of a great whole. But um, the thing that I'm led to say right now that I feel the need to say is, um, the, the bits of advice for you to be happy or stop listening to everybody's advice on how to be happy. There's no <laughs> temple. Humanity is complex and we're rich and we're deep, but Instagram wants to make us think we can find the answer in a meme. 
F-U-C-K that. It's not true. You're never going to be happy if you're going to winnow this beautiful, amazing life down to a meme. Come on. So, you know. Not no, I, I think that's, that's my advice. How about two? Is two enough? That's that's totally fine, and I like them. Like I said, I think that just sort of finding your creativity is important. And then, like what you said, is that there's no path. Like there's no path. There's no salute, There's no like formula to happiness. So I, I think those are two solid uh, solid lessons. And I've had where I had one episode where I only got one. So two is better than 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 nothing. So I definitely appreciate that. Well, so, how about this? The, the third one is what you said earlier. No what your three things are because like I have a girlfriend whose most important thing in her whole life is staying married that's the most important thing to her and she's allowed to have that be the most important thing to her but she might have sacrificed a really good job here and there or a really beautiful house here and there because her main thing was to stay married so Mm -hmm. if you know what your uh, three priorities are, or if you know what your mission statement is, it will help you. Because I'm very successful as a singing teacher. I'm very successful. I never stop teaching, and I have tons of students, and I'm very successful as a married person. We're still married. Yay! Yeah. And I'm a great mom. My kids would tell you, I'm a great mom. I have made it my aim to be a great mom, but I'm, I don't make money off of my writing, so am I a failure? You know, my writing is top-notch good writing, but I'm not a good marketer. So am I a failure? There's so many facets to my life, which means there's facets to yours too. Yeah. So if you know what your main um, gig is, then you find success in that and hope for success in all of them. Does everybody get to be you know, 5'11 with a long waist and you know, beautiful hair? I don't think so. <laughs> you, yeah. you gotta figure it out. No, I agree. Definitely. So the last thing I let every guest do is, is really just an opportunity to promote themselves. Um, let us know where to find them, whether it's on social media, website, whatever they, however they want to put themselves uh, out there to my listeners. So the floor is yours. Go ahead. Okay. Um, my book, Creativity Connection slash Conundrum, is on my website. And my name is Renee Urbanovich, R-E-N-E-U-R-B-A-N. O-V-I-C-H, Renee Urbanovich.com. And I also have uh, some fiction and nonfiction and poetry and memoirs, but mostly my life's work is this book about creativity that teaches you that we are all part of this huge, wonderful whole. And you need to find out how you fit in that and contribute your gifts to the world. Awesome. Well, I'll put your website in the show notes. And is there anywhere that you are on social or that's not really your thing? Oh no, I'm on whatever. I'm on all of them: <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Um, we have a community called Creativist, which means you're an activist for creativity. Anyone can join that, and then we do local spottings. Anyone who's doing anything creative for the sake of the collective is an activist for creativity. Um, yeah, but you can find me on create, Creativist dot community, uh, Renee dot com. And uh, Facebook, it's Renee Urbanovich Author. Okay. And yeah, I mean, it's a weird name. You'll find me. I'm, I'm pretty much <laughs> no worries. <laughs> yeah, I just want to make sure I put in the show notes as much as I can as to where to find you in, in, in case people want to reach out for sure. So again, you know, Renee, thank you for coming on. Uh, you know, you definitely had a story to share, which I didn't get the idea from because some people in, in the podcastcast.com newsletter give me like a three page letter about their story. And some people give me like a few sentences. So I didn't expect all of this, but I appreciate 
appreciate the fact that you opened up. I appreciate that you were so open uh, with this conversation because you don't know me, I don't know you. And so for me, it's always a, a great sort of experience to be able to have people come on here and, and share their stories like you did. So thank you again. Well, for coming you, made on. It, you made it easy. You made it easy and you're, you're really good at asking the really deep questions. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. All right. Well, take care and uh, have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you. Bye, Brian. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.